0: So this morning, as we talk about um, Jesus is alive, and so are we, all year long in the gathering, we've been talking about who is Jesus and who are we in light of who he is. Um, And in the the broader scope of things in women's ministries, we've been talking about our sense of belonging. How do we know we're part of the community, part of the family, that place where we sense that that, um, these are my people, this is my God, my heart is at home here. And so as we talk about this morning, what does it mean that Jesus is alive? What does Easter mean for us? Um, I don't have so much teaching for you as I just kind of want to have a heart to heart. I want to tell you a little bit about a recent experience that I've had that has absolutely rocked my world and what's been kind of flowing out of that for me, especially because it's been happening in this Easter and coming up to Easter, preparing for Easter season, So a couple months ago, I had a conversation. It was a conversation that I had not seen coming. It was amazing if I told you the intricate details of how God brought these two people together. It was kind of awe-inspiring of how the two of us ended up across the table from each other. And the conversation um, went in a direction that I had not anticipated and it opened some things up inside of me that I hadn't seen and it, well, it rocked my world. Matter of fact, a week or two after the conversation, and I'd been processing and journaling and talking with God and the, the multiple layers that this conversation had impacted in my life. I was talking with a spiritual friend of mine, a, a mentor who I meet with once a month, and I was chatting with her about this experience that I had had. And she said, so um, kind of what you're saying is that, that um, a stick of dynamite was dropped into the center of who you are, and it blew up. And I went... Yep, that's really a pretty good explanation for what just happened. Like I hadn't been able to put words to it, but that is exactly what happened. And part of the, part of the explosion on multiple layers, which I, I don't have time nor desire to express all the layers and desires to you, but part of what happened for me in this conversation was that I was exposed to my own sinfulness, I was exposed to some blind spots in my life and some things that I didn't know were there. And it was kind of like God pulled back the curtain and just gently, lovingly stood with me while we looked at what was real about some inner parts of my heart. And I didn't know what to do with it. What I saw behind that curtain what happened in the course of the conversation, the healing that was handed to me in a package that I could not recognize, it was one of those does not compute moments for my brain and my soul. As a matter of fact, I left the conversation and it was so much a does not compute moment that it was one of those moments that was um, have you ever had those times when you're absolutely fine, but you're absolutely not fine at the same time? Like, I'm fine. And I am not fine. (laughs) And I am driving away from this conversation and I am fine and I am not fine. And I'm trying to decide if I'm going to go with the fine or the not fine. I'm trying to decide if I'm going to go home and put on my mom hat and take care of what the people at my house need, or if I'm going to give myself some space to take a little bit closer look at what this not fine is that I can't really wrap my brain around because it really doesn't compute because when dynamite goes off, the pieces fall down and they're not orderly and they're not, and I didn't know yet that that's what had happened, but that's exactly what had happened. And so I decided that I had time and space and I decided to go ahead and pause and go ahead and look at the not fine and see what God and I would um, what this looked like. So I came over here to the upper room. I don't know if you're aware, but on the fourth floor of Broadway Commons, there's a, a place that's set aside for prayer and solitude. There's a big, open, beautiful room where you can sit quiet and pray. There's also three little prayer closets where you can be alone. And so I went in and I... Um, I saw a woman that I know at the desk who's volunteering. And and can I just say that when you're fine and not fine at the same time, there's this fine line between chatting with people and about to just completely fall apart. And so I walked into the upper room and and had the chat, thankfully, short enough that I didn't get into the I'm about to utterly fall apart and uh, got myself into a prayer room. And in that prayer room, um, I didn't know where to start. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to listen to. I didn't know what to pray. I didn't know what to ask. And so I just sat in the chair and I began to cry. And as I cried, I, I just kind of slid out of the chair and curled up on the floor and cried at what I had witnessed about myself and what I had seen and what was beginning to percolate about what God was saying about all of that. And, and what I had seen when the curtain was pulled back was, um, some judgmentalism and controlling and manipulating in my life that I had no idea was there. And as I processed and cried out, you know, there's this thing that people have taught over the years. You may have heard it too. They will say that if you notice the things that bug you about other people are the things that are in you that you're blind to. And it's just absolutely false. That teaching is just completely wrong. The things that bug me about other people are not the things that I am blind to. This is not the truth. And as I laid in that upper room and allowed God to speak truth to me, even though it was agonizingly painful and I didn't run away from it, but I sat in it and he pulled back the curtain And I began to realize that the does not compute of my response in this conversation that was actually a very healing conversation, my does not compute was based on this manipulating, controlling, judgmental coping mechanism that had been in my life for a very long time as a way to try to protect myself from being hurt. And unbeknownst to me, internally, I was just always busy keeping relationships in their right place so that people couldn't hurt me, so that I knew, how I need to be with this one and what I'm expecting from this one and these people can speak into my life but I don't expect these people to speak into my life and I can speak into these people's life but I don't expect to speak into these people. I had no idea that this leveling complex system was in my brain and I will say, there are no faces or names connected with certain levels. I'm not looking out and seeing you and this is, last night I'm teaching, I'm like some of them know me, I wonder if they wonder where they are in my levels. I don't have names and faces connected with this picture. It was just that he pulled back the curtain Curtain to the fact that I do it. And as the curtain came back and I realized really how hard my brain works at controlling my world, there was this light that went off with this um, relationship in my life that's been difficult over time. And I would say because this person tries to control me. And as I began to realize what I was doing, I literally gasped and said, <gasps> I'm not that bad, am I? I'm not that bad, am I? And as I sat with my spiritual mentor a couple weeks later, and I repeated that to her, I'm not that bad, am I? She nodded slowly, and she said, yeah, actually, you probably are. And we talked about the truth that you and I want to celebrate Easter. We love Easter. We should celebrate Easter. God is a good God who loves us and cares for us, who sent his son to die for our sin so that we could live with him. But friends, we can't enter into the life that he gives us with the joy that he intends for us, receiving the grace unless we understand what dead means, unless we understand what death is. We cannot truly enter into the joy of being forgiven unless we understand that we're sinners, We can't truly enter into being alive with Jesus unless we understand that without him we are dead. And dead is really dead. (laughs) We can't enter into the light of Jesus unless we understand the darkness that is our world and that is our heart in the place of sin, barring the grace of God. And here's what my journey's been about. And you guys know this if you've listened to me talk before. I'm a recovering perfectionist. I have tried to control my world by never making a mistake. I have tried to control my soul, to be okay within myself, to, to feel good about me, to feel like I'm enough by never messing up. By never messing up in my relationships, by never doing anything that might hurt your feelings, by never saying anything that might offend you, by never having the wrong response in any given situation, you know what? I'm exhausted. The reason I'm recovering is because about 20 years ago, my body and my mind gave up and said, I can't c- carry this kind of stress anymore. It is very exhausting to try to please everybody all the time. I just, if, if you're thinking about trying it, don't. It's a bad goal. It's a really bad goal. But what happens when I am invested in trying so hard to not make mistakes, I have amazing defense mechanisms that rise up when someone or God might try to shed light on the fact that I did make a mistake. And not just that I made a mistake like, oh, I made a bad choice, but like I have a sin nature. And and at the core of my being... I can't do the right thing. (laughs) And so this self-protection, if my goal is to, and friends, hear me, I've been a Christ follower for 40 years now. I asked Jesus into my heart when I was five years old. So all of this was with good intentions. My perfectionism is a Christian-based perfectionism. My perfectionism is a, this is what Jesus wants of me. This is what a Christian does. A Christian tries to live the life that God lays out in the Bible. This is the goal that I've had. I could have told you 20 years ago that my goal was actually to reflect Christ and to live the way his Bible tells us to live. But because my identity wasn't rooted yet in, my, in the forgiveness of grace of God, what played out in my pursuit of being a good Christian woman was perfectionism that was at its core extremely unhealthy because its purpose was to prove that I was okay. And if my purpose is to prove that I'm okay, then I can't receive when I'm not okay. I realize I'm getting you into the twirly gigs in my brain. And I apologize because I don't expect you to be able to follow all the twirly gigs in my mind, but go with me just a little farther here. If we are trying so hard to do what's right and we have defense mechanisms up so that we can't hear when we're wrong, then when the joyous message comes that we've been forgiven, we don't actually recognize that we needed a savior because we're still invested in trying to save ourselves. And the journey that God has had me on, especially in the last couple of months, is a very humbling journey of just being flat on my face with the self-awareness that I need a Savior, that as hard as I have tried for 40 years to do the right thing, as a human doing the very best that I could, I hurt people and I messed things up. And not only have there been occasions when I hurt people, but based on the hurt in my own life, I have developed a system that is judgmental, that is manipulative, and that is controlling. It is the way that I interact with people in my world. And it's ugly, and it's sobering, and it is the most freeing thing I have ever discovered. Because when I truly understand, and I don't think I'm there yet, but I'm catching glimpses, when I truly get that I am a sinner... Not, I am a Christ follower who does pretty good and Jesus forgives me when I mess up. But I am a sinner who without the grace of God is just as bad as the worst person you can think of. That the darkness in my soul is just as dark as the darkest darkness you have ever seen. That my best efforts would still derail my life, and the lives of those around me, except for the grace of God, then I can start to have a joy that I have never had before. You see, in this place where perfectionism drives self-defensiveness, which drives having to hide from what is real in my life, I can't really access the joy either because I don't really know what I've been saved from. And when I realize what I've been saved from, it is the freedom to quit striving. Oh my goodness, I can't. Like, I really absolutely actually can't. Like, there's nothing in me that can do this. Like, it's not, oh yeah, I couldn't in the past, but now I can figure it out because I'm smarter. No, today, April 6, 2017, my sin nature is still a black hole, dark mess, lost without the grace of Jesus. And if I can live in that place, then I don't have to keep trying to prove something different to all of you or even prove something different to myself. Are you hearing me? There is a freedom to quit trying to prove that I'm not bad when I recognize that at the core of who I am, my sin has destroyed me and it is only by the grace of God that I can live any life other than a life of total depravity. And then I can enter into the reality that Jesus is alive and so am I. Unless I know I'm dead, that is not good news. Unless I have experienced the darkness, I can't recognize the light. So this morning, I want to invite us into some time to allow God to pull back the curtain in our lives and show us what's real. And for each of you, that's going to look different than me. Friends, we cannot choose when to have God expose our blind spots. That's the thing about blind spots. We can't see them. I can't know what I don't know. I can't ask for what I don't know is there. I've been praying a prayer for a decade maybe, maybe a little bit less, that God would expose my blind spots. For better or for worse, as crazy of a prayer as that might sound, I'm aware that there are things in my life that I can't see, and yet those things are impacting me and the people I love. I started praying this prayer when I realized how my blind spots were impacting my children when I realize that the ways that I react to things, the things that trigger me in my life and cause me to react to things that I don't even know what's at the root of this reaction, it's a blind spot, are hurting the people that I love the most. Dear Jesus, show me what is in this darkness. Show me what is behind the curtain. Open my eyes to see what I don't see. It doesn't matter how painful it is. It doesn't matter how much I hate seeing it. Give me the courage to sit still long enough for you to show me the blind spots because I don't want to hurt these people. I love them too much to stay blind and God in his grace and mercy and his perfect timing doesn't shine this glaring light all at once in our nakedness and show us what all is in that blind spot. No, he is gracious and he peels back that onion layer by layer and and one season at a time. He says, okay, so take a look at this, Jennifer. And I go, gulp. (laughs) I didn't know that was there. Surely I'm not that bad. Well, yeah, actually, you probably are. And that's not a condemning statement. Some of us expect the correction of God to come with a heavy hand. Perhaps because the authority in our life, whether a parent or a teacher or a boss or an older sibling or a spiritual mentor that we trusted, somebody in our life has been heavy-handed with us. And so we expect that when we invite God to expose what's real in our life, that it's gonna come with a heavy hand, with a thwack. And can I just say that I have never Ever been thwacked by God? That is not who He is. That is not how He speaks. That is not how He deals with us. He is gentle and He is kind and He is loving. It says that it's His kindness that leads us to repentance. It says that He is rich in love, abounding in love, and slow to anger. Friends, the God who is sitting up above, waiting to push the smite button, have you ever seen that far side? As an old cartoon, it, it dates me, I know it does, but there was this far side cartoon where there was this guy walking down the sidewalk. <laughs> and there was a piano moving company moving a piano into an upstairs apartment. So the piano happened to be right above the guy who's walking on the sidewalk. And right above that is God at his heavenly control panel, and he's got his finger on this smite button. That but if he pushes the smite button, the piano's gonna fall and hit the guy. You guys, God doesn't have a smite button. It says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when we have the courage to be still and ask God to shine his light on what's real in our life, his light is gentle and it is soft and yet it is true and it will wind its way into the cracks and crevices and it will expose the broken places in our heart, not so that he can condemn us, but so that we can be free. We can't force that light, we can't force ourselves out of the blind spot, we can't make him show us things, but we can have a posture that is open to his probing, that is open to him exposing things in our life. And that's what I wanna talk about, is how do we have a posture of receiving what God wants to show us when he's ready to pull back that curtain and expose the things that he wants to heal in our life, that he wants us to see, not so that he can smite us, not so that he can thwack us, but so that he can heal us and set us free. And so the first thing that we do, hmm, I want to give you a picture. And this is not unique to me. I, I read this and I don't remember what book I read it in, but the, the picture is this idea of our soul, that, that inner part of us, where it, the, the real part of us, our, our real feelings, not our false self, not, what we've, not the image that we've maintained for what we want other people to see, not the image that we've maintained for what we want to believe about ourselves, but our true core being, our soul, as a timid jungle animal. Okay, so imagine with me that you're traipsing through the jungle, and you're making a lot of noise, and you're whacking away the bushes, and you're making a trail, and you're doing what you do. Is that timid jungle animal going to come out? No. A timid animal isn't going to come out when we're traipsing through the jungle, making a lot of noise, cutting our trail, going where we're going, doing what we're doing, being as busy as we're going to be. But if we will take time to sit down at the base of a tree, and to breathe, and to let all the travel, dust, and noises settle, and to be still, it's possible that our soul will come out, that that little timid jungle animal will come out and, and allow itself to be seen. And, and it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. But it's timid. It's so timid. For some of us, I have perfected the shaming of my soul. Here's how it looks. The soul comes out. I see what it's feeling. That's not a Christian feeling. Let me give you a really concrete example. Be vulnerable here. I look something up on Facebook, scrolling through. I see some friends who I know I'm actually quite close to, and they're doing something without me. I actually didn't even know that they were doing it, and they are having so much fun. Like, you know, the perfect pictures, the smile, the sunshine, that they just had a great time? Okay, here we are. This is what's real. And what rises up in me? You know it, it's not Christian, it's jealousy. I'm jealous, plain and simple. So my soul comes out, and it tries to show me what's real. It, it, it gives me a feeling. Friends, our feelings are not our enemies. Our feelings are a gift from God to tell us what's real in our life. So this feeling comes up that I've been taught all my life is not a Christ-like feeling. We're not supposed to be jealous. And so what do I do? I say, I don't feel jealous. That's not what I feel. Get over it, Jennifer. That's not what's real. Come on. They, they, they have the free- You're an adult. Be an adult. They have the freedom to do what they want to do. And I talk my soul out of how it feels. And do you know what happens? That timid animal runs right back into the bushes and says, nope, it's not safe to be with her yet. She's not a safe person for me to show my true self to. Some of us are not safe people for our souls. So how do we pause long enough at the base of the tree and stay quiet long enough for our soul to have a chance to show us what's real? Here's the deal. We've got to turn off the TV. And we have to set aside our phone. And we need to turn off the music, even if it's worship music and we need to put aside the books, and we need to set aside the things that distract us, and we need to be still. We are not good at this. Girls, we need to be still long enough that it feels awkward. We need to sit still long enough that we don't know what to do with our hands (laughs) so that our soul can come out and simply be present with us and show us what's real. And when we see what's real, We need to practice being very gentle noticers. We need to practice seeing without judging, seeing without shaming, seeing without fixing. So what if my soul comes out and and the feeling that is exposed is anger? Well, for crying out loud, we all know that anger isn't a Christian response. We're supposed to forgive. So I tell my soul, well, you can't be angry. We've got to forgive. And my soul goes, nope she's not safe yet because until i can let what bubbles up even if it's not god honoring even if it hurts even if it's a sadness or a or a conflict or a confusion or a grief or a sin If I can't be still enough to invite Jesus present to shine his light on it, I'm not safe for it to come out. And my defenses are still so high that not only is God not coming into my blind spaces, but I haven't even allowed myself to see them so much to the fact that I've denied them and I've denied them so quickly that they never actually even came into my conscience. So we need to be still. And we need to be quiet and we need to be gentle noticers who believe with our whole hearts that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that whatever feeling dares to show itself when we sit still enough for our soul to allow us to see what is real about ourselves, that we will not condemn. God does not condemn and neither will I condemn. I will be still with what is exposed long enough to invite Jesus to be present. Psalm 139 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We invite God into those places with us and we say, show me what is real. There is no fear in love. God is perfect love. Love. God came to give us freedom. It doesn't matter what we see in those places. God still loves us. It doesn't matter if you end up curled on the floor in fetal position somewhere sobbing because you are so shocked by what you just saw about yourself. Because God is showing you because he wants to heal you and move you into the place where you can walk into his life and his redemption and his healing. As long as we are trying to do it by ourselves, we will never get to the place where we will truly live into the freedom that he has for us. It's counterintuitive. It's backwards. It's God's upside down kingdom. It's not what we think. We do not get better by trying to get better. We get better by being honest about what's real and admitting where we're not better and where we're not fine. And then Jesus can make us better. So we pause and we're still. We are gentle with what we notice. We invite Jesus in and we give our soul permission to simply be what it is. It's not a quick fix. It's not an easy journey. It is a sit still and be with what is real journey, but it is worth it. It is worth it. So here's what we're going to do. Jesus's life and ministry, his, his road to the cross was all about identifying, identifying with us as humans, identifying with the Father, teaching us what it meant to identify with the Father. And so as we enter into a time of reflection today, I want to invite us to reflect on the, um, huh, just like table talk, I'm going to trust you to be pretty intelligent people. There's a lot of different ways God might want to take this time. So I'm just going to tell you what we have set up. I'm just going to trust you to enter in with Jesus how you need to enter in. On the back wall are a few stations that invite you to explore identifying with the nails of Jesus. Jesus was crucified with three nails, one through each hand and one through his feet. And um, the nails, as we're choosing to look at them today, could represent the nail of forgiveness, the nail of surrender... the nail of mystery. And there are some nails in the back. It's okay. I don't need any of it. It's all good. There are some nails in the back. You are welcome to take and keep a nail today. Um, the stations are on the wall, so there's no rush. They're going to be up all morning. You can wander back anytime that you see that there's space for you to kind of read and, and interact with the questions that are there. You've got paper and pens at your table. You may just want to stay at your table and journal and allow God to speak to you and write down what he's speaking about. You may want to move around the room, get away from your table, sit on the floor, come up and kneel on the cross. Um, we're going to we're gonna have some worship time. Uh, Natalie's going to come back up and lead us through some reflective worship. You might just want to sing. You might just want to close your eyes. You are free to move around the room, to stay in your seat, to just accept this as an opportunity for that stillness to allow Jesus to speak and for your soul to show you what's real. And don't shame it. Don't turn it away. Don't tell it it's bad or wrong. Just let what bubbles up be present in the presence of God. As we look at what his sacrifice did for us. So we're turning a corner. The, the back and the reflection time is still open. You're still free to stand, to sit, to move around the room. But, but we're turning a corner. Because when God shows us what's real, it's not so that we can stay there and feel bad. It's so that he can show us himself and his redemption. Why did I lead us through a time of reflecting and and? on our suffering and our sin this morning so that we can fully enter into the forgiveness of Easter. And I invite you to continue this journey through the next couple months, next couple weeks leading up to Easter Sunday. And yet we turn a corner because Romans tells us that the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives in God. And sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but you are under grace We're reminded that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Friends, we turn the corner into the gift of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And it says this, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life, set me free from the law of sin and death for what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by my sinful nature. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. And so we have this Turning to the resurrection. And I want to express that there are different seasons in our life. We are all on a journey from birth through this broken world and our sinfulness to death and then eternity with God. That is one cycle of resurrection. Another cycle can be a season where you have recognized the dark night of your soul and you've you've dipped down to that darkness and over time and days and weeks or months or years, you've come to that place of seeing Jesus and you've had that little resurrection along the way where you've recognized the truth in your, his, your life and you've returned to joy and there's that shorter cycle of resurrection that God gives us as a gift. And then there's this daily resurrection that every day you and I get to get up in the morning and we live the day that we live and we can bring praise and we can bring gratitude and we can reflect and live in the resurrection that is the daily rhythm of entering into Christ's death and resurrection. And so even as you are exploring some of your places in your life, some of you are going, Jennifer, you just opened up a gaping wound. I can't turn a corner into resurrection right now. I get it. I really, really do sit with God as long as you need to sit with him and yet know that even in the midst of that place, there is still a place for resurrection and joy. If you didn't make it back there, The nail of mystery says this, the nail of mystery, God never rebuked Jesus for expressing his anguish of soul or for asking such questions. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus struggled on the cross, but his struggle was toward God and not away from him. There is no sin in that. Sometimes the challenges and crosses of our lives raise questions that haunt us to the core. But Jesus knew the secret to navigating the mysteries and hardships of life was trust. He looked beyond the present crisis and trusted in a father who can use everything in our lives, the blessing and the struggles to work his greater purpose. So as you enter into the Easter season, do you have a question for God that seems to be unanswered? Do you need to meet God in the mystery, in the unknown, and trust that he knows what he is doing, that he still loves you dearly amidst the hardships, confusion, and silence? Friends, this is one of the nails that put Jesus on the cross, and it's a nail that invites you to sit in the mystery of your struggle without having to have a pretty little bow fix it before you can praise him. And so I invite us to turn the corner into praise wherever you are on your resurrection journey.